Welcome everyone to the gaming couch. Be it video games, card games, or board games, we'll have a good time playing. So come and join me on the couch. This is your host, Smart Boy. Hello everyone. Alright, just a few announcements before we jump into anything. So I know two weeks ago I said I was playing Crypt of the Necrodancer and that Zone 3 was tearing me inside and out. Well, some updates. Well, I finally got past Zone 3, but now I have to shelf the game for a little bit because Zone 4 is pure and utter evil. Very troubling and difficult area. I mean, trying to move to a beat while dealing with enemies that can misplace you, confuse you, and do us. It's like mess with your movement while fighting enemies that require some precision dodging and stuff like that really just puts the pressure on you and makes it very challenging. So I'm not saying I give up with the game. I got actually really close to beating it and got to the final boss before he kicked my ass. I just want to take a breather as I pursue a few other things, you know, Crash Bandicoot, this podcast, things, you know, stuff like that. So I'll definitely be revisiting it soon enough to finally beat it. And then also, talking about Crash Bandicoot, I finally got my new computer in a really nice MSI Ghost, a high-quality gaming laptop, and I must say, mm, it is fantastic with the laptop itself and the Crash Bandicoot Remastered Trilogy. So I've been going through Crash Bandicoot Warped the past day. I have yet to like 100% complete it and get everything, but I already beat Cortex. I just have like a few gems and a few relics to get, but I had to say... I'm very pleased with it. This is you know, definitely what the series needed, revisiting classic Crash, and especially with this fantastic look it has now. And uh, you know, just playing through the game, the third game for the first time, I'm, I think I'm quite happy. Like I heard a lot of the troubles with it was some of the stuff, like some of the missing voice lines, like Dingo Dial's line was missing at the end of his fight, but when I played through, it was actually replaced. Uh, so you got to hear that wonderful exit that he had after you defeated him. Sadly, you know, Engine's voice line is missing. So at the very end, when you, he blows up and he curses at you for saying, and he says, not again, because he lost once again. It wasn't there. So things are here and there. It seems a little weird. Um, but it's, it's like minor things. Granted, the, the future tense level that they released. Oh, my God, did I love it. It was definitely the challenge I was looking for in Crash 3. So, you know, still good things to come. I'm not happy they changed the dance. They changed Crash's dance. Near the end of the dance, the second to last thing he does, he's supposed to, like, let's say he's facing you, he turns, like, 45 degrees to one side, does three pelvic thrusts, then a 90-degree turn, so he's facing the other direction, three pelvic thrusts, and then he ends the dance. But now it's just, like, he kind of does, like, this semi-circle of just pelvic thrusting. I don't get why they changed it. You know, in, in reality, it's minor, but just from playing the game so long when I was younger, I guess it's, like, a little thing that kind of, like, nicked me. But definitely I'm not going to knock the game for it because, you know, you get to play as Coco, and she's just absolutely adorable and I'm loving it and I played through as her in the third game like every other you can play as Coco I played as her it was just amazing so fun stuff to have all around with the insane trilogy and this new laptop I have going for me so now back to our regularly scheduled program so looking at last week talking about Crash talking a little bit about Dark Souls stuff like that was the idea of what makes a game challenging especially a single player game that gives you a task to complete you know get to the end of the game beat the boss save the princess or do whatever it is the game has set up for you now that's all we could do a long time ago but over time software was improved and it could do more complex things and handle math in a new way that we couldn't do before and we found a new way to challenge ourselves 
And with this new challenge we discovered, it sometimes isn't just about the challenge, but it's also about manipulating the game each time we play. And here I'm talking about RNG, which usually stands for Random Number Generator, but it's been developed further from that. So originally, the Random Number Generator, we've seen it over the decades, you know, stuff like WoW, other RPGs and stuff like that use the Random Number Generator to determine, you know, loot if you killed a monster. Do you get loot? How much loot do you get? How much money do you get? You know, stuff like that was randomized to a certain degree. Over time, though, it became just kind of the core mechanic of certain games. So we went from RNG as a num- random number generator to more of like RNG random number game, in a sense. Now, you know, the, the one of the big hits that I'm sure a lot of people know about from RNG stuff was the also roguelike game The Binding of Isaac because a lot of times RNG and roguelike go together. You know, roguelike being this idea of going through the game, the game it's kind of like stacked against you. You just have to use what you find. And that's what Isaac did. So Isaac popularized that combination of RNG with the roguelike element, where instead of just randomizing loot like World of Warcraft did, everything was randomized. So going through it, the loot you found, the rooms you went into, the enemies you fought, the bosses you fought, everything you did in a run was randomized. And, you know, a run being that one-off play. So a run, like I said before, could last like 20 minutes. You get to the boss at the end and beat it within 20 minutes. However, getting there is the challenge because everything is randomized each time you start a new run. So the game focuses on uh, focuses on those individual runs because they're so short. So it makes it kind of like unique and a challenge each time you play because of the RNG you're faced with. Because it, it's interesting because we're looking at, yes, I know the run is different. I know every time I play this game, it's going to be different. I know that's the challenge presented before me. However, I don't know how it's different. So what, what do we do here? We know what we're getting ourselves into by not knowing what we're getting ourselves into. It's just, it's a really kind of weird contradiction that we have to face with. Now, RNG, yes, goes hand-in-hand with the roguelike genre a lot of times. However, there are games that aren't necessarily roguelike. However, they really use that RNG in their favor to kind of make something shine in their game. So, these three games that I kind of I'm going to be focusing on Really, besides the RNG element, they have like nothing in common, which is kind of cool about having an RNG-like game. So, one of the games is Kirby Air Ride, released back in July 2003 for the GameCube. We have Slay the Spire, which currently is in PC beta on Steam. So, if you buy into it, the game is not finished yet. However, the developers are very active with it and listen to a lot of community feedback, so we'll get into that later. And then the third game, Armello, was released back in September 2015. We're looking at PlayStation 4, Xbox One, PC. It also had a few, like, mobile ports of it, like, on iOS devices and, you know, stuff like that. You can look it up and, you know, check it out if you're interested. So let's just dive in a little bit, see where RNG kind of comes in with these games. So the first game, Kirby Air Ride. First off, it's an amazing game. I'm a huge Kirby nut love the guy to death. I used to watch the anime on four kids every Sunday morning. In fact, I've found ways online to watch them now. And, you know, every now and then I just boot it up and watch an episode. I freaking love the show. The games are amazing. Simplistic play style stuff like that is awesome. So when I discovered Kirby Air Ride, a small spinoff game, I was really excited. So you get the pink puffball, but now he's in a racing game. Okay, so let's let's check it out. 
So the main game, Kirby Air Ride, consists of three sub-games. The first two are like, you know, racing style games, Air Ride and Top Ride. They're, they're both solid in what they do. They're, you know, they're not half bad when it comes to racing. However, because they're racing, there's not much RNG involved. For the RNG, we have to turn to the third sub-game, the City Trial that they have. Me personally, and I think a lot of people also say this, City Trial is the highlight of Kirby Air Ride. So pretty much all it is, City Trial, is you and up to three other people are dropped into this moderate-sized city. You know, for the time that what they had, it was a moderate-sized city. It was a good-sized city. And you're in the city for up to seven minutes. You can set the time of between three and seven minutes. When time is called, you compete in some random, like, competition stadium event. And whoever wins the, you know, stadium event is declared the winner of that run, essentially. So, while you're in the city, this is where kind of everything comes into play. You're driving on the city, everyone starts with the same vehicle, the compact starts, a very basic vehicle, and you can drive around and you can switch out the vehicle for other vehicles that you find lying around the city. And as you're, you know, checking out the other vehicles that you might want to use, you can also find patches, and patches increase your stats. And some of the stats involved are like, you know, speed, glide, offense, turning, you know, stuff stuff like that and you can find these patches lying around you can find them in boxes things like that to kind of customize and modify your vehicle over time now it's important that you just collect any patches that you find because you don't know what the competition is at the end so you might as well just try and have a well-rounded vehicle regardless there's also events that happen in the city during the, the run so stuff like meteors falling out of the sky and crashing into the city the items can become rubbery and become the hardest goddamn thing to pick up because they're bouncing all over the place a giant pillar can suddenly appear, and if you crack it open, you get lots of goodies that come raining down. One of the old sort of villain characters, Dinoblade, might just show up and land in the city, and you can fight Dinoblade. You know, it's just a couple examples that can happen while you're in the city. And while you're driving around, up to, I want to say, three of these kind of random events can occur. Or you might not have any events. You can go through a seven-minute run in the city... And nothing special happens. You're just cracking boxes open and fighting the other Kirbys if you so choose. That's it. And then the last thing that kind of gets thrown in there are the two legendary vehicles. So when you're driving around, you can switch vehicles, like I said before. And they're just kind of lying around. What vehicles spawn is random, and where they spawn is random. However, while you're driving around, you might luck out and find a piece to a legendary vehicle. So there's two legendary vehicles that each require three pieces for you to pretty much unlock just for that run. So if you're lucky enough to find either Dragoon, which is great at flying, or Hydra, which is a really great speed and is a great combat vehicle, if you're lucky to find one of those pieces, you hunt down the other two pieces you need for the vehicle, put it together, boom, I now have this for the competition at the end. When I start the next run in City Trial, I won't have it unless I get it again. And again, it's randomized. You might luck out and find one vehicle. Heck, you might luck out and be able to construct both legendary vehicles. Or you might get nothing. You might find nothing piecewise and not get a legendary vehicle. You know, you won't know. So you drive around the city for a bit. You're picking up these patches because your stats start at zero. So you just want to up your stats because that competition's coming. you got to get ready for it. But what's going to happen? The predictions can happen to give you an idea if it's going to be a race, combat, or something like that, but it's not guaranteed what the, that the prediction's always right. So you get that fun RNG of coming back to the city of, 
you know, let me try my best to upgrade this vehicle. Let me hopefully find a vehicle I like to use. Or maybe I'll read the prediction if the prediction shows up. It doesn't always show up. But if the prediction shows up, I might look for a vehicle that's better at gliding. So if it says, hey, you're gliding very far, I might look at a game like the Wing Star, the Jet Star, the Shadow Star, something good at flying. Or if it talks about combat, okay, maybe I'll look at something more like the Rex Wheelie or the, uh, I call it the Noodle Cart, but it's technically the Wagon Star. You know, it's better at combat. It could help out. From beyond that with the events, what's also really cool, because the events are randomized and you can get patches from the events, there's another layer of surprise that comes in there. So I've had the game since the release. Like, I've been playing this game for about 15 years now, you know, since it came out. And there is this incredibly rare occurrence that I've only witnessed twice in 15 years. One of the events that happens during the city is a secret chamber will open up, and inside that chamber will be a item that is duplicated six times. So, like, let's say, like, a hot dog's a health item. If there's a hot dog in the secret chamber, there's six hot dogs, for example. One time, no, twice, sorry, twice, what happened was the secret chamber opened, and there were six all patches. And essentially what that does is increases each stat by one. So offense, defense, glide, turning, weight, speed, all those get increased by one by picking up one of those all patches. Well, the secret chamber had six. Now, I am not really a statistics kind of person, and in some of the research I did, I didn't find anyone who crunched the numbers, but in 15 years of playing this game, I have only witnessed that thing, that event happen twice, where the secret chamber opens and it's six alls. I've seen the secret chamber open a lot of times, but only twice to provide those six alls. And it was amazing when it happened, because you pick all that up, and now all your stats are essentially immediately set to six instead of zero, and on average, getting a stat beyond, like, five is rare. You know, you might get a stat up to, like, ten or eleven, but all your other stats will, you know, you have, like, two stats at maybe eight, and then everything else is, like, four or less. So having everything at six is amazing, and immediately just breaks the game like it doesn't matter what vehicle you use you're gonna fly far you're gonna be super fast you're gonna be tough and it's awesome you know and it, it's amazing so every time i play the game i get excited when it says the secret chamber opens i rush over them like what am i gonna get the odds are astronomical that it'll be amazing again but i get really excited to rush over there and potentially pretty much guarantee my win in the competition coming up the competition i'm not don't know what's gonna happen but hey if i have those six alls throw whatever competition you want at me i'm ready for it it's gonna be awesome it's gonna be easy so every time i'm going back to city trial all the time like heck like i said my niece has been visiting me since last week and her and i every night will play kirby area for like two three hours and we never get bored of it just simply because of that randomness it's a very simple game to learn but you never know what you're going to get when you play it so it's awesome something a little less awesome is slay the spire so Oh my goodness, Slay the Spire can be very stressful, but it can also be very rewarding. So, again, this is a beta game, a beta game. So, they're currently creating the game, and I just played it the other night, and they actually introduced a few new abilities into the game that weren't there before. So, what's great is, as you play this game, you can give some feedback to the developers, and they're actively listening, they're posting on forums, they do weekly updates, and they let everyone know what they're doing each week. So it's a really awesome, active community. Gameplay-wise, it's really solid. Like, I've been doing runs for hours upon hours now in the game, and they're always complete. Like, I rarely, if at all, run into any glitches or anything. So if you like what I say, please 
pick up the game and check it out. They recently got a million sales, so congratulations for that, and definitely join in on the party. So looking at the game, Slay the Spire is very simple. You ascend a tower, kill anything in your way, handle some random events that come upon you, and when you reach the top, you attack the heart of the spire. Of course, you really can't kill this creature, this being that's the heart of the spire, so you just keep going at it again and again and again, hoping to eventually slay the spire. And in doing combat and the events and everything, you event you slowly like gain a deck of abilities that you can use, like a little deck of cards, and those are the abilities you use in combat. So this, unlike Kirby Air Ride, this is a little bit more of a roguelike game. Because when you enter the spire each run, you go through three areas. And each area is made of a collection of rooms. And the rooms can have like a shop or campfire, random event, a random fight, stuff like that. Or you could have an elite. An elite is a more powerful form of a normal fight, and there's three special elites to each area. And then in addition, each area has a pool of unique bosses. So each area has one of three bosses that you'll end up fighting at the end. And that's the only guaranteed in the area is that at the end of the area, you're fighting a boss. And halfway through the area, you get a chest that gives you a relic. Those are the only two guarantees. Everything else is randomized. The amount of campfires, the amount of shops, the amount of random events, the amount of fights you do, all that is randomized. So you're going to struggle with this map before you sometimes you want to avoid an elite, but you can't because every path you could take ends up having you fight an elite. So it's like, okay, do I find an elite with a campfire immediately after it? Do I take this path that has a campfire before the elite? Or do I go down there, which has a shop, but there's two elites? Like, you see what I'm getting at, that you're looking at this map and trying to figure out where's the best path for me to take. Now, the other randomized element is your abilities. So like I said before, you have a deck, a little deck of cards, and that's your abilities. And there's three different characters you can play as. And each character has a very similar starting deck. They all get like a basic attack card that all do the same amount of damage. And they all get a basic defense card that defends the same amount of damage. And they get like four or five copies each of these cards. And then each character has like one or two special abilities that are unique to them that they also get put in their deck. That's your starting point every time. Beyond that, whatever cards you get is random. And the way they do it is whenever you kill an enemy and win a fight, you get to pick one of three cards randomly given to you. Or you could pass if you don't like any of the cards. You can buy cards at the shop. Some events give you access to certain special cards. And that's really it. And now as you're gathering these cards, you have to think about your build. So each character has like two or three builds that are kind of unique to them. Like one of the characters is the Silent. And the Silent is really good at either using a lot of shivs, which are free-to-play cards that deal damage. You could look at stacking a bunch of poison and damaging enemies over time, or you could look at getting an insane amount of energy generation so you can play a lot of stuff in one turn. So these different builds you can work with. However, you need to be careful. So there's this risk-reward system to deck building. So using the silent as an example. There's this one called, called Cat... One card called Catalyst. <sighs> Too many Cs. What Catalyst does is it doubles the amount of poison that is currently on an enemy. And, of course, poison is, you know, damage over time. If you get Catalyst early, it's like, it's fantastic. It's a rare card, and now I can double any poison I have on an enemy. This is fantastic. I love this card, so let me take it. But if, for whatever reason, in the rest of the run, you find barely anything or next to nothing that can apply poison to your enemy, 
catalyst is essentially useless because catalysts will only work if they're already poisoned. And if you can't poison them, what does it matter? Catalyst is now useless to me. Essentially, I am now drawing a dead card, a card that is just useless to me in my deck. So my deck is now filled up with this card, and I, I don't know why. I, I can't use it. So here's your risk rewards that you have to look at. So, like I said, sometimes you can pass on a card, and sometimes it might be good. It's like, yes, I love this card. Like, I would love to use Catalyst, but I just don't see its use. And then these other two cards, I just don't want. They don't fit my build right now. I'm going to pass. Same thing goes to relics. So when I mentioned before about the treasure chests that are guaranteed in each area, they have relics, and then elites drop relics, and you can buy relics at a shop. And a relic essentially give you, like, a passive ability that's always affected in your character. So there's various things like return damage, gaining strength, or defense automatically, decreased prices at shops, stuff like that. And what's really unique about it is a relic will never spawn twice in a run. So if you're doing a run and you find, like, let's say the kunai, which means every time you play three attack cards in a turn, you gain one dexterity, which essentially is when you block, you gain one additional block. If you find the kunai right away, that's the only time you're going to find it. So you have to think to yourself, okay, should I pick up the kunai? Like, let's say it's at a shop. Should I spend the 250 gold or whatever to pick up the kunai now and not buy any other cards? Or do I pick up more cards to guarantee an easy start to my run, but miss out on getting the kunai? Because it's never going to show up again. Here are the thoughts we have in our mind while going through the game. Now, the only thing you have that's like straightforward is the combat. So RNG is breathing down your neck the entire time. The way the rooms are set up, the stuff you have available for you to use, heck... In combat, you know, you have a deck of cards, you're drawing five cards a turn, you have three energy, you know, to start, well, what are those five cards that I'm drawing each turn? So RNG's everywhere. But from there, it's straightforward math. So a man by the name of Tom Francis, he's a writer for Rock Paper Shotgun, he wrote an article titled, What Works and Why Juicy Maths Inside the Spire. Now, to sum up pretty much what he said, it's what Slay the Spire does is very straightforward math. So every card has a set value. So like, let's say you have an attack card and the card says, this card does 11 damage and it costs one energy. That's what it is. It will always cost one energy and 11, do 11 damage unless you change that number in combat. And it's always like straight whole numbers. There's never percentages. There's never fractions or anything like that. It's just straight whole numbers. Same thing with buffs and debuffs. They always last a set amount of turns. That's a whole number. Like let's say you poison an enemy and you even poison three and then you deal, you use Catalyst for like times two poison, now it's six poison. Or if it's three poison and you hit him with two poison next turn, okay, now it's five poison. Like, it's just straight whole numbers. So it's easy for people to comprehend. And then when the enemies attack you, it actually shows you their intent, whether they're going to like block or attack or something like that. And if they attack you, it shows you how much damage they're going to deal. Or if they're going to use like a defensive ability, it doesn't show you how much they'll defend, but it's always the same amount. So as you get to know the enemies from you know, consecutive runs, you can be like, okay, when that Centaurian is guarding, I know he's going to gain 15 block. He always gains 15 block, and he always defends his ally every time. Since all that math is straight, all you have to worry about is just making the deck work in your favor based on what's given to you. You're not worried about, you know, do I have a percentage chance of this going off when I play this card? No, but if you play the card, you're good to go. So there's the one 
breather you get, which is kind of nice when it comes to Slay the Spire because the game is very stressful in everything it does, especially with some of the end game bosses. One of them in particular gains power. Like essentially will deal more damage over time if you play powers. So if you build a deck with a lot of powers and you just so happen to get that boss that says, hey, I gain one strength whenever you play a power, so I deal additional damage with all my attacks, you're kind of screwed because a big crux of your build using powers is now helping out the enemy. So those straight numbers is nice in combat, but the RNG of the rest of it is kind of what makes me keep going back is that, let's see what I can do with this run. Let's see what it gives me. Am I going to get lucky? Or like, I just did a recent run with one of the characters that I'm like, this deck should not work at all. And then it did. It somehow I pulled it off. And I'm like, you know, that felt good because the odds were against me. So it's nice when you have the luck on your side. Now the last game kind of takes the chaos of Slay the Spire, peels it back a little bit, and throws that on a board game. So our Mellow is incredibly unique. I haven't played it in a very long time. I was really getting mad at it because I was doing some PvP, and I was really getting screwed in PvP. But in doing this episode, I think about, I'm thinking I'm going to revisit the game again. So first, it's set up like a board game. Like I said, it's very unique. It's a PC game, but it's set up like a board game. Each player controls a different character who moves around the board. And each turn will draw cards from three different decks each turn. Now, each deck focuses on something different, like a different element. Trickery, which is kind of like politics, equipment for your character, or magic spells. What you use is up to you. So, like, let's say, you know, each character can draw a different amount of cards. Like, let's say you can draw four cards. If you want to draw four magic cards and use spells, go ahead. You want to draw two equipment, one trickery, one spell, go ahead. It doesn't matter until the deck runs out, and then in which case everything's reshuffled. Now, the goal of the game varies from player to player. This is what also I really like about the game. It makes it very unique. It's a board game with multiple win conditions. So the way the game is set up is that these four characters go to this place called Armello, and there the king is slowly dying from a disease called the rot. It's been, like, corrupting him, and he's slowly dying from it. It's rotting him away. Go figure. So a player can get one victory by breaching the palace walls, breaking in, and killing the king. That gives you, like, an assassination victory, or, you know, like a, a slayer victory, something like that is what it's called. Or you can do something similar where you break in and kill the king, but if you also contract the route voluntarily or forced, depending on what happens in the game, and you kill the king, you then gain a rot victory. Essentially, you become the corrupt king that follows suit from him, pretty much. You could also get a spirit victory which is you find four spirit stones on the map if they show up or if you force them to show up get the four spirit stones and then you walk into the palace and cleanse the land the king essentially dies from his rot but you don't have to fight him you just cleanse the land or you can do the really fun prestige victory which essentially is like a point system like characters gain prestige over time from like killing monsters playing cards and stuff like that and should the king die of natural causes because the rot is killing him, so the game will eventually end from him dying. Or if someone tries to assassinate the king and both that player and the king die together in combat, then the person with both prestige wins. Essentially, you're like held in high regard and pretty much the people elect you to be king. It's a, it's a fun way to win, honestly. I kind of like waiting it out like that. So during the game, you draw on all these cards, which since you're drawing from a deck and you have a deck of cards, what you draw is kind of randomized. Also, things you can do on the board, there are caves you can explore. If you explore a cave, you can get companions that will join you on your quest. You can find unique equipment. You might accidentally spawn a monster. You can find gold, stuff like that. So that's all randomized. 
there are also quests you can complete. So if you can complete your line of quests, which is like six or seven quests long, you get the key to the palace, which instead of you trying to breach the palace walls and leave that to a, an event that you have to face, you can just put the key in, turn the lock, and you break into the palace and fight the king yourself. There's also, what was what was like here? Settlements. There are some settlements that you can gain control of. So if you gain control of a settlement, you then get money, and the money you use to play your cards. So in trying to control the board is really important. So the caves, you can get random events. The quest, the rewards you get from the quests are randomized. And also, when you go to do a quest, you choose one of three quests, and each quest has a different reward you can get, and you get a chance at succeeding at that quest based on your stats. So you have to look at all of that, and while you're doing all this, try and control some settlements so you at least get some income to play cards against other people. Now, one other thing they throw into this you know, pot of goodness is the characters that the players can select from. There's currently 20 characters looking it up with all the DLC. There's 20 different characters you can pick from if you buy the DLC. And each of those characters is affiliated with a clan. They're affiliated with either day or night because there is a day and night cycle in the game, which is really cool. They also have a unique ability, you know, unique starting stats, amount of gold, stuff like that. So that's kind of what's set in stone is there are four victory conditions there are the characters you can play as that all have like starting stuff. That's all set. The RNG comes into play with what you draw from the decks, the events you run into, the cave exploration, the quests you get, and then combat. Combat's determined by a roll of dice. So you get a certain amount of dice based on your fight stat. You roll that and you know you add up your attack and defense based on what you roll. Now you can cast spells and use equipment to kind of set the dice to like auto roll so essentially like with a certain weapon i can guarantee at least two of my die will be swords and automatic to attack so i lose two die that i'm rolling but i'm guaranteeing to attack which is you know a fair trade-off there's part of the rng the other part of the rng is the uh what was i looking at wow i just missed it (laughs) is the deck drawing because everyone is drawing from the same deck so you know i keep going back to the deck but it's really important to think about what the deck has because the decks impact your play style. Like, if you're drawing a lot of equipment, you better go out and fight people. But you better be careful, because if your opponent's drawing a lot of equipment, one, they might get the equipment that you're looking for, and two, now you have someone else you have to deal with, because if that person comes hunting you down, they might have better equipment than you. You won't know until they fight you, or you watch them fight someone else. It's always, like, breathing down your neck is, I have a strategy that I want to play out, but I need the cards to be right, and I need to get this to work. So, like... You know, when I play through, I like to ensure a few things. So I kind of like, I ignore the RNG and I try and pull the strings kind of in the background. So this is what I mean. I would play trickery, which is like the politics stuff. So what I would do is I would, you know, find a, a settlement to hang out at to say protected. And I would start playing all of these trickery cards. I essentially like would start like causing riots in a city. So like, if I wanted my one opponent who was becoming very strong because he was getting a lot of money, if I wanted to weaken him, well, I'm not going to come up, but you know what? I can cause riots in your cities. And now those cities are being destroyed and you're not getting any income, so you have to either get back there yourself to fix it or waste whatever money you have to play a card to you know, settle the disputes and stuff like that. I also like to then place bounties on people. So you can place a bounty on somebody. And if you kill someone with a bounty, you get a gold reward and you get prestige points. And there are three tiers. And on the final tier, when they're like fugitives of the state, the king's army, because there are guards running around, 
will actively hunt those people down. So I'll hang out in the settlement, start destroying the other settlements so people lose the income, play cards and then take them over because I send diplomats and politicians there in my favor. And then the one time I actually put a bounty on everyone's head and pretty much all the other players were fugitives. And because I was playing Armistance, they weren't allowed to attack me. I forced them into the agreements and they were like, you can't attack me because we have an Armistance between each other. But you're now a fugitive because I played certain cards and now the king's army is hunting you down. And I sit and wait, and then as they got low on health because they're constantly trying to fight off the king's guards and they're fighting off the other players and they're fighting off these monsters I was spawning, they're on like the last leg. I'm just like, I hit you with a sharpshooter. You're dead. I gain like 10 gold, 3 prestige. There's nothing you can do about it. I'm just sitting pretty over here, not doing anything with my turn, just waiting to strike. So what I like with Armello is in the midst of this RNG mess, you're looking at, you know, you can work with the politics. You can work in the assassination. So there's so many things you can kind of look at to win. And because the king is dying over time due to the rot, there is a time limit that's very realistic. Like someone is diseased and it's like cancer, essentially. Like they're going to die eventually. So we have to work with that realistic time limit to win while dealing with our opponents. Now, when I jump in, I don't know who my opponent's going to be playing as. So there's 20 different characters they can pick from. I pick one person, obviously, and then there's 19 other possibilities for one person. And then, you know, if you you crunch the numbers, four people, they can't play the same character. There's 20 possibilities. You know, you look at the percentage, the amount of combinations that come out of that, you don't know what you're going to deal with. And since each board is randomized, the only guarantee is that the king in the palace is in the center, and the five center tiles is the palace. That is guaranteed. Beyond that, where the settlements are placed, where the caves are placed, mountains and forests, all that kind of stuff is random each time you go into a game. And then again, the decks are set with the type of cards that are in there, but they're shuffled. So where they are on the deck, where they sit in the deck is, who knows? We won't know. I enjoyed it to an extent. Because of the RNG, sometimes I would get screwed up. Like when I'm trying to pull the strings in the background, if I didn't pull that sharpshooter, or if this person I placed a bounty on died early, like, pretty much committed suicide by running into a monster and dying to remove the bounty. Crap, there goes my strategy. And then people, a lot of times, would see the character I play as and then target him, like, knowing he could do espionage. they target him and try and remove me instantly. It, it got a little old after a while. But, hey, that's just how PvP goes. People learn certain strategies and they want to counter it. The easiest way is, if this guy can't fight, let's go kill him. Because, again, if the RNG doesn't work in my favor and I don't get the die roll I need or I don't get the cards I need, eh, I'm kind of screwed. Same to my opponents. So I'm looking back into it. I just downloaded it. I'm probably going to play a little bit of it to get back into the game because I have some fond memories of those, you know, mischievous plans I had and everything. So let's let's just look at what RNG does for us. So each of these games kind of handles RNG in a different way. So Kirby Air Ride uses RNG in City Child to randomize the vehicles you get, the upgrades you get for it, and then what you have to do at the end. Slay the Spire is the typical roguelike. The Spire itself is always randomized with its map layouts and the abilities you get and the cards and routes you have access to. And then Armello is a board game, so the RNG is very real. You're rolling dice and you're drawing cards. So it's a double-edged sword. On one hand, RNG is great because each time we play the game, it's different. So again, I'll play Kirby Air Ride for hours and never get bored because each time it's different. Slay the Spire, I might get my butt, my ass handed to me in one run where I get slaughtered right away 
but I'll jump back in because I know this run could be a lot better. You know, I learned from my previous experience and work with that. I know what cards work well together. I know what relics have synergy. So I'm going to look at that kind of stuff and prevent myself from getting a deck of 40 cards that are non-synergistic. That are just kind of cards that won't work out. Armello? Yeah, it sucks that I lost and I spent that hour doing nothing. But you know what? Let me go back in. Let me play a different character. Let me try something new and work with what the game gives me. So that's what RNG has for us, is that challenge we're presented with that is different each time. On the other hand, we have to work with that. So it's great that the challenge is different each time. However, what then stabs us, that double-edgedness of the sword, is we have to bite the bullet. Even if the game gives us complete and utter shit to work with, crappy cards, no patches coming out of boxes and Kirby Arid, whatever it is, screw it deal with it you have to work with that and if it hurts your chances oh well and it sucks it it kind of ruins your spirit sometimes so you just have to think to yourself next time's gonna be better if this is a crappy run that means the next one can be better and next one will be better because all my bad luck's just you know i'm praying to the rng god all the bad luck's just crap coming out right now so my next one has to be better because of this and then on you know dealing with that with you know buying the bullet is the few times that things line up right, it's amazing. You know, Kirby Arad, I got those six alls, fantastic. And Slay the Spire, when you can pull off that combo to deal, like, 300 damage, which is pretty much insta-kill of almost anything, or stack enemy up to have, like, 500 poison, it feels great. And in Armello, when I can sit back and just watch the world burn from a distance because I'm just getting the right cards, it feels amazing so it's almost like safe gambling like you know if i lose the bet in this gamble i'm not losing any money i'm not losing a limb nothing like that i just lose the game okay i I try again i lost what 30 minutes not even of my time it's a safe gamble so then i get a rush because i am essentially gambling that chance of winning that exhilarating rush you get you you get it you get that kick out of it when things start to work together or when you make something work that shouldn't have worked at all like one time in armello I'm sitting there, I'm like, this guy is really powerful right now. I can't beat him in combat, and he's going to go assassinate the king. I have no right to win this match. And then we went to break into the palace. The dice weren't in his favor. He failed the event, got heavily damaged. I sniped him with a sharpshooter. He dropped dead. Next turn, the king dropped dead. Oh, look, I have 10 prestige. I win. I had no right ring that game. That The guy that was really strong on going for the assassination should have won. But the RNG just, it wasn't in his favor. So it felt kind of good. Like, you know, I got that kick. And then there's some survival to it. Because of the randomness, it's a survival instinct. Whatever I got before me, I have to use it. So it, you know, it almost fulfills that. You know, there's a game called The Long Dark I'm going to talk about at one point. That is a, pretty much a survival simulator. And that's the thing. Like, whatever loot you find, make it work. You're, you're stuck in the middle of this perpetual winter. you got to make it work. And it's survival is on the line. And then on the survival, it's in a puzzle. Because you have to work with whatever's been given to you. Well, I mean, put the pieces together. Something's there. You just got to look for it. Now, try them out. If you've never tried an RNG game, you know, give it a shot. Try Binding of Isaac because it's very famous on the internet. A lot of people love it. Or try one of the games I brought up today. It's something to think about. Because... You'll come back, I guarantee. If you've never played an RNG game or a roguelike game, 
as soon as you start playing one, you're not going to be able to put it down. You're going to sink so many hours into it because, you know what? Next one just might be a little bit better. Take care, everybody. Join us every Sunday at 8 p.m. for a new episode of Gaming Couch. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at Gaming Couch for news and updates. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, shoot us an email at gamingcouchpodcast at gmail.com.